Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Who's, who's run a marathon here? Who has run? Let me see a show of hands. Who has ever run a marathon? There's one, two, three, half marathons. Okay, a little few more. Uh, 800 meters. <laughs> 400 meters. 100 meters. Who's ever run? <laughs> okay, we, we, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about, about running, running races, and I just wanted to know what I was dealing with here, uh, um, and, and whether we had, we had a congregation that loved to run or does not love to run. I, I, I like to run, but my knees don't like to run, um, so I, I run less than I would otherwise. Um, but I, I have a I've got a word of encouragement for you this morning, and this is not just to you individually, it's to us as a congregation, um, and I'm not speaking to you just about a word of encouragement for just now, this is an encouragement for you, for us, for the rest of our lives, and the rest of our lives together at Grace Marietta. Um, I start, for those of you who know and those of you who don't know, here on the 1st of December, which I think is next Sunday, um, as executive pastor. Um, and, and that, that, that makes it a whole lot easier for me to introduce myself. And those of you who hadn't noticed, I've never introduced myself any time I've stood up here because it always felt weird to say I'm Douglas Tappen and I have the title of midweek coordinator um, and, and I sometimes play keyboard um, and I sometimes teach and I'm a member of the local board um, and other bits and pieces. And so, and so I'm thankful that I can summarize that in, in a two-word title. Um, <laughs> um, but... but um, you may hear this again. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Um, I said at the earlier service, I don't know that I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. And, the, and the, there might be a moment when I'm preaching and the Lord calls me home in the middle of it. Uh, but you, you're going to hear this again in some way, I'm sure, because this is important, um, what I'm about to say to you today. And our text uh, that we're about to come to is taken from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, reading from verses 1 to 2. But before we read that, let's spend a moment to pray. Lord, we give you thanks uh, for your word, for your word that is encouragement to us, for your word that is light, that is truth. Uh, we pray, Lord, um, that in these moments that we will hear from you clearly. Speak deep into our hearts, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us, encourage us, correct us, Lord. Whatever we have need of, we pray that you, out of the abundance of your truth, Lord, will give us that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse is 1 to 2. And, and before we, we do this, just, just let me speak about the book of Hebrews for a little bit. The book of Hebrews, um, anyone know who wrote it? No? No one knows who wrote it. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't Paul. Some people have speculated it was Paul. Some people have speculated it was someone else. It doesn't really matter, but this, this is a book that... that that is a word of encouragement written to, to Jewish Christians um, telling them to persevere. And it was a word written telling them to persevere at a time, as far as history seems to tell us, that it was a time of, of persecution. Because the church in the early days was always, in some way or other, being persecuted, whether it's by the Roman Empire or otherwise. And it's a word telling them to hang on, to not quit, to keep going, to, 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 to finish what God called them to start. And, and the way that the book ends up being being, being put together, it, it's, it, it's speaking to Jewish Christians, and so it's using imagery from 
that, that Jewish Christians are familiar with. And it begins by speaking about angels, but it says that Jesus is better than angels. And it then begins by speaking about Moses, but it says that Jesus is better than Moses. And it uses other imagery from the Old Testament, imagery of the high priest. It says that Jesus is the best high priest ever. And it speaks about the, the, the tabernacle and that Jesus, as, as the high priest, it says, eventually is one who takes his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, and doesn't have to do it continually, but enters this heavenly tabernacle and, and, and pleases God in a way that means that our sins are forgiven once for all time. And it's in the context of this writing that, that the writer to Hebrews is saying, therefore, don't quit, don't turn back persevere, press on to do what God has called you to. And, and you may also know that there's, there's a chapter in Hebrews, which is Hebrews chapter 11, that, that is sometimes called the, the chapter of faith. It's like the, the hall of fame of faith. And through that chapter, uh, the writer begins by speaking about faith and, and follows on from the end of chapter 10, where he says basically that we, we live by faith. And he says, let me give you an example of what faith is. And he says that faith is the substance of things that we hope for, and faith is the evidence of things that we do not see. So in other in words, he's saying that faith is something that is substantive, that is tangible, that is evidential, but we can't see it with natural eyes. Elsewhere, the scriptures will say that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so Hebrews fills out the whole chapter of 11 with a series of men and women whose lives have been lives led according to faith. It speaks about, it speaks about Noah. It says that Noah, at a time when there was never rain, hears the Lord tell him to build an ark in which he's going to save not only his family, but the whole of humanity. It speaks about Moses' parents, who in the context of, of the king's or the Pharaoh's word saying to slay all the kids, his parents see something special about him. And so put him aside and don't, don't submit him to that destruction and death that would otherwise happen. It speaks about Moses who's raised in Pharaoh's palace who one day gets the sense that God's called him not to be an Egyptian, but he's meant to suffer affliction with his people who were the Hebrews and to lead them eventually out of Egypt to the promised land. And it goes through the whole of, of, of Hebrew history and speaks about Barak and, and Jephthah and David and Gideon and Samson and Ruth and... and, and Maybe Ruth's not actually in there. I'm making that one up. Rahab. Rahab is in there. Who, know what, who knows what Rahab's job profession was? Thank you. And what did she do? All right, the spy. She protected the spy. So she did that by faith. And she also hung a, a cord out of the window so that when the, when, the, when the Israelites came to Jericho, they didn't destroy the house or those who were in her household. So it's in the context of that that it says in, in verse 40 of 11, God promised something better for us that these, these who went before should not be perfected apart from us. And so it comes to the top of chapter 12 and it says, and I think the words were up and they're about to come back up again. Um, it says, therefore, we also, so we also, we as well as everybody who was in the chapter before, we as well as Moses and, and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and David, we also since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. And so this, this, is, a, this is a sporting analogy that, that, that the writer to the Hebrews uses. And it's interesting because Paul also uses a sporting analogy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, where he says exercise yourself towards godliness. And so in a way, he's saying that working out, work out. 
But don't just work out in the gym, um, and I'm not going to take a show of hands. Don't just work out in the gym or in your home gym or, or wherever you work out. But instead, he says, bodily exercise profits a little. In other words, physical working out is it's okay, but godliness is better. Physical exercise is something, but godliness is much better than that because it's about the life that now is and the life that is to come. So my sense of the word godliness, it's, saying that it's, it's a sense of saying that our lives should be, should be aimed towards God. Not just towards the, the physical and the temporal and what we could see, but we should always, in what we do, have a sense of how is this thing I'm doing matter to God? What is the eternal significance of what I do? Because physical exercise is going to get me through this life, but everybody's body is going to fail and fade at some point. So, so Paul is saying, physical exercise, but more, godliness. Thinking about how am I pleasing this audience of one who is my father. Because Jesus even says in the, in the uh, it's recorded in the book of Matthews, interestingly, when he's speaking about when we pray, go into the secret place. When we fast, go into the secret place. When we do our charitable giving, give in a way that our left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. In other words, that's an audience of, of one. That's godliness. And Paul is saying that that matters more than physical exercise. But he uses this example of physical exercise because I think it, it helps us to get a sense of it. And so uh, I'm going to, before we speak about the way that Hebrew says to run the race, we, we, we're going to do a little demonstration here to you because, um, uh, but let me set this up. There's, there's a gentleman called um, Eliud Kipchoge. He's a Kenyan. Who's heard of him and who knows what he just did? What did he just do? Ran a marathon in under two hours. Um, so let, let's put that in context. A marathon in under two hours means going on a treadmill, like I did, <laughs> on Friday, and tying yourself in. I literally put the clip on, um, because the clip that cuts the treadmill off if you fall off and go backwards and injure yourself. And I put it up to six, and I was running at six, and I thought, oh, I can do this, and went up to seven. Oh, this, is, this is interesting. Eight was more interesting, and nine, literally, the treadmill began to smell of burning. Uh, um, they, they told me at the gym that they just replaced all the belts and it wasn't that I was going so fast, but I stopped at nine because it was very fast. You have to go to 13.1 on the treadmill to get to the pace that this gentleman ran this marathon at, and you have to keep that going for not 10 seconds, but, but two hours. Two hours at 13.1 on the treadmill. It's the equivalent, I'm told, to running 100 meters at a 17, 17 second pace. So that's a sprint, right? That's fairly quickly. Um, but, but he'd been getting close to this. He'd been, he'd, he broke the two hour, two minute seconds, two hour, one seconds in the Berlin or London marathons. But it took some special circumstances for him to do that. And, and rather than showing you a, a video of how he did it, we, I, I need, uh, let's go with 12 um, men who are capable of jogging on the spot, please. And whoever you are, just come out here. 12 men capable of jogging on the spot. Uh, and if we get, like, 14 will be good. Let's take 14. So we need 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Six more, please. Nine. Oh, here we go in chariots of fire. <laughs> All right. Now, I need, seven, I need three of you to sit down and, th and four of you to sit over there, please. And you, you're going to come in in a minute. Okay. Okay. Our marathon runner. Everybody give a round of applause, please, for our marathon runner who's going to start running on the spot. So he's running 13.1 on a treadmill. Um, 
Um, he's, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. And, and so what they do is they, they, they give him to make this happen. Someone designs, Nike designed these shoes that you cannot buy. They're so incredible. So he's got on these special Nike, don't know what they're called, shoes. Um, he, he, he's got his, his, his fancy running small shorts and all that sort of stuff on, and he's running. And, and they, they decide that, that one of the things you need to do to keep this up is you need some people to run with you because you can't do it on his own. And, 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 the, and the gentleman who ran like this, he lives in a community in Kenya uh, with a bunch of other guys who run marathons, and they, they were set up to help him do this as well as some others. They had 41 pacemakers um, uh, who, who rotated in seven in a pattern that they tried out in a, in a wind tunnel. Um, and so let me show you what that pattern looked like. So we're going to have two people who are going to run here. So Ed, can you run there? And Blake, can you just run right, right on his shoulder? Okay. Now, I'm probably thinking that these are the kind of people that are going to be whispering nice things in your ear. Like, what kind of things are you whispering? Keep, keep, going. keep going. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, bear, and, bear, and bear in mind, sorry, uh, bear in mind there's a, there's a car here that is projecting on the road a laser mark that is the mark that if you run at, you're going to hit the time that's running on the back of the truck, right? Um, and so, and there's a guy here on a cycle with a, with a clipboard, and he's handing him drinks that you're drinking, and you're giving it back to me. Okay, okay, and, and, then, and then the wind tunnel says that we need a guy running right in front of him, okay, and we need another guy here, and another one here, a little further forward, so go back up a bit, back up, run back a little bit, okay, and, and we actually need one out here, and one right there, so one here and one there, and so this is how they run. Yeah, and the, these guys, these guys aren't running the race, they, they, they can't do the whole thing. They rotate in, so guys switch, so like switch, 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 yeah, okay, that's good, that's good, and then let's try one more switch, you think we can make it just randomly switch with one bit other than, other than Carl, <laughs> okay, and they keep doing this for 26 miles, yeah, and so guys peel away, and, and then everybody other than Carl, and at the end, they come up to the finish line, and what does he do? He runs over the finish line, and everybody applauds. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so. And so you wouldn't be surprised to hear that when Eliud Kipchoge speaks about how he accomplished it, one of the things he said that helped him accomplish it was a word beginning with T, which is teamwork. Yeah, he says, I couldn't have done this were it not for those others. Because he'd got close and running a marathon at 2.02, I'm thinking it's just two minutes. <laughs> But apparently it's not, and so they'd, they'd picked a, a, a very straight, flat um, track in Vienna, um, and it was, it was lined by trees on both sides. Someone had designed this course, and they'd marked out on the road these, these, these yellow lines so that he had to stay within them, otherwise he wouldn't do the distance. And literally, there's a laser beam on the road, and if you stay at that. And so not only is it quick, but there's a level of teamwork and a level of planning and a level of organization, a level of discipline going into this thing that is astonishing. And isn't it interesting that, that this is why I think Paul and the writers in the Bible speak about sporting analogies, because all of a sudden this comes alive. When I say run your race, you think, oh, hold on a sec, I might need someone to help me. Or I might need special equipment. Or I might need to wear small shorts. <laughs> or, or I might need to do something that helps me to, to run, to run my, my race. Um, Focus, organization, self-discipline, teamwork. Do you think those things would help us? If we're focused 
about what we're meant to do and who we are and what our calling is, if we're focused as a congregation in God's purpose, if there's self-discipline, if there's organization, if we work out that you, you, you're doing this, but you should be doing that, and you should be here, and you should be alongside this person, and you should be walking together with these people, and you guys need to come together in a group to do this and, and run in this way, that we might accomplish something that we all look back at and say, wow, it was as amazing as running a sub two-hour marathon. Wouldn't that be incredible? But instead, sometimes we just try and do things on our own, or we have no sense of what our calling or our race is, or we don't do it, or we don't do it with enough discipline or with enough diligence. And so I wanted to establish that as just a demonstration for you to have in mind as we begin to look now at this text. And so we're going to work through spending a little bit of time on this passage in Hebrews, remembering that this is an encouragement to persevere. It's an encouragement to not quit. It's an encouragement to run your race. And what's interesting is one of the things it says, and that if, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, because I don't have this on the screen, uh, to Hebrews 11, verse 33. Hebrews 11, verse 33. Because that, that's the time in which the names run out in this chapter, in this first chapter. Because previously, Rahab's mentioned in verse 31, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So see, it's speaking in bigger terms than actually individual names and, and, and breaking down people's actual work, the things they did. And it begins to say that these, through faith, subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, but hold on a sec, they stopped the mouth of lions. Who do you think that might be speaking of? Okay. Quench the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the enemies. Remember, this is how they're doing this? This is by faith. This is all by faith. They, they, they perceived God saying this. They saw it. It didn't make sense to them in the natural, but they were able to accomplish this because there was evidential, there was substantive faith that they stood by, that they lived by, that they walked by, and they accomplish these amazing, miraculous things by faith. And remember, the encouragement's going to come to us to say, now your turn. But look where it goes next. Women received their dead, raised to life again, verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Look at that. So by faith, they persevered through torturing. Deliverance, it seems here, was an option. But rather than accepting deliverance, they persevered through torture by faith that they may obtain a better resurrection. Because that tells me that there's people then that are saying that at the end of the day, if I die here, there's a life that I'm going to live again, that I see by faith, that's better than accepting the deliverance that my torturers are offering us. And remember, the scripture says that since you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, and I want you to begin to imagine that these are the people, the witnesses that are surrounding us. That we live a life as Christians surrounded by people, spiritually in a sense, metaphorically in a sense, Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Joshua who saw the walls of Jericho securely shut up, a city that was impenetrable, but he hears the Lord say to him, behold, I've given you this city, and so his eyes say closed, his mind through the spirit of the Lord says open, 
And through this thing that they do, which is the weirdest thing you've heard, marching around the walls of the city, the walls of Jericho fall flat, and Rahab is rescued because she participates in this because she, through faith, takes her part in this thing. So if Joshua was here and Joshua said to you, oh, oh Christian, in Grace Marietta on, to the, on this day, that thing you've heard, you think that by faith the Lord's told you to do that is weird, that has never been done before, that you think you can't do, that you think you don't have the resources for or the strength for, Joshua says, God, but God, but God, but God is always the answer when there's nothing that I see other than faith that is tangible and substantive. And let's carry on. Still others, verse 36, had trials of mockings and scourges. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. And this is where it gets even harder. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having promised something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Look at that. How does it make you feel when you read of these people? These are the people that surround us. It's easy to live our Christianity in the context of our current generation and then get a sense that we're doing okay. We're doing okay because I'm better than that person or I'm better than that person. But when that person is Moses and Abraham and Joshua and Jephthah and David and Samuel and Gideon and Barak and Rahab and all those others, Moses' parents and the guys who were sawn in two, who persevered through torturing, when you live in the context of that cloud of witnesses, do you get what the text is saying to you? Because it begins by saying, therefore, because of what you've just read, therefore, you, you, take the baton from these guys who ran before you, and you now take the baton from them, and you run your race in your generation with your gifts and your talents and your calling, all your resources and all your strength to the end of your life, and then you pass it on to the next person, and so on and so forth. This is the encouragement that the writer to the Hebrews is is giving us, because these words are handed down to every generation. We sung it, you've proven your faithful to a thousand generations. So again, in our generation, we say, yes, because we have the testimony of those who lived before us who God was faithful to. No one's ever stepped out and done something for the law that the Lord's let them down in. Has that ever happened? That's not the God we serve, because God is good. God always calls us to good things. God always has good and perfect purposes and better purposes and things that, that want to call us out of, out of darkness into light, that are about the redemption of the world that he loves so much that he sent his son, and having sent his son, he sends his spirit, and having filled us with the power of his spirit, he sends us. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be, and it's in that power that we run the race. And look at those last words of of, 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 of verse chapter 11, verse 39. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Think of that. What is your testimony? What is the witness about you that speaks when your mouth is shut? We're in a generation when we do this a lot. We self-promote. We self-publicize. We selfie. We tell you, this is what I've just done. I've just done this. I've just done this. Here's me eating a plate of food. 
Yeah, and all it says, here's me doing this, here's me this, here's me this, me, 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 me. Yeah, where instead, don't you want a testimony when God speaks and you keep your mouth shut? Because that's their testimony. Because it even says of Cain, um, if you went back to, to verse 4 of chapter 11, Abel offered to God a sacrifice more excellent than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he, though dead, he still speaks. His testimony still speaks. It's like God writing your obituary. I was, I was at UGA the other day, and I promise you, I wasn't, I wasn't watching football because I've realized that when I speak about football, not soccer, football, it gets a bit weird. Because I, 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 to this moment, do not really have an allegiance to a particular football team, guys, I'm sorry, um, other than Chelsea in London, which is a soccer team, not a football team. Uh, but, I, but I began to explore the whole idea of supporting a team, and, and it got really weird. <laughs> um, and, but I was at UGA. And I did take a photo of the stadium um, and sent it to a few people. Um, but I was there because I was working with some theater and musical theater students. Um, and and any time I'm in that kind of environment, I always want to try and bring spiritual truth to this non-spiritual environment that I'm just amazed yet again that God's put me in the midst of because I was invited to come there to speak to them about, about a life in the theater. Uh, and, and, and one of the things I said to them was that the average wage for an equity actor. So an equity actor is the actors, the best actors union. So if you've managed to join the actors union for which you need to do like 50 hours of or 50 weeks of credit or get a job that's impossible to get, hard to get into, um, even if you get that, the average working weeks for an actor in Atlanta are six weeks. So you're going to work six weeks of the year and then you're going to have to do something else for the rest of it. And this professor told them that the average salary for a, an actor is $9,000 a year. So there's all these kids in this class, I want to be on stage, I want to be a star, I'm called to be a star, I'm called to be on stage, all that sort of stuff. And I said, look, if you've got anything else in your life you can go do, go do that. <laughs> I mean, literally, if, if you're called to this, then that's fine because then you will persevere because this is your race to run. If you're called to be in another race, then go get in that. And the interesting thing was the professor, who was the most wretched human being, <laughs> Every, every third word began with F. <laughs> um, and it was like punctuation. And Anna, my wife, was there, and I kept laughing to her. We, we often have these moments, and I'm like, Lord, you just put me in the weirdest places. But I'm going to minister nevertheless. And having spoke, and I said to them, look, look I, I, I want, the reason I'm here is because when I was an attorney in the UK, and I had thoughts of all kinds of other things, and I dreamed of being, no, actually I didn't. I thought whether, what if I'd stayed and been a really good attorney and been a law lord or a high court judge and was writing law, or if I'd stayed working in the music business and I'd become really senior and really important. And I sat down and I thought, I wonder if I was on my deathbed and I was looking back at my life and I was thinking, what do I wish I'd done? What do I wish I hadn't done? What would be on that? Would I be upset that I hadn't done this in law? And I said, no. Would I be upset that I hadn't been the head of business affairs for Sony? No. Not at all. What I realized I would be upset if I hadn't tried was to work out whether the prayer my mother prayed was real. And let me tell you about that. I have four sisters who are all older than me. The youngest is seven years older than me. Um, it, it's, they're lovely. Um, Auntie Catherine, stop it. <laughs> It's like having five mothers, right? Um, 
But my, my parents wanted a son. And they'd been praying for a son, but girls kept coming in. No one knows what I'm about to tell you here. Uh, this is brand new for you, and I'm ashamed, but it almost happened. They, they were going to call me Dougalina. <laughs> Maybe that's one of my four mothery sister types just mocking me, but that's what they told me if I'd been a girl. But here's the sad part of it all. My parents kept praying for a boy, kept having girls, and then had a boy who died in childbirth, carried to full term. And my mother prayed, she said, the sense that the Lord was saying, don't sue the doctors, just ask me something. And so she said, Lord, give me a son, and I'll give him back to serve you all the days of his life. And so my deathbed thought, looking back, is, God, have I, firstly, if that's real, and she's not making this up, and she prayed this, and you heard this, what does that mean? How do I live? What race have you called me to run? How do I run that race? And part of that process is part of how we as a family ended up here. Because at some point I said, Lord, I didn't want any of those things. I just want to go after you and whatever you want. And, and that meant coming to America at an age when Catherine was one and Nathaniel was four and Anna didn't want to come. Um, and back to seminary to do four years of a degree that was interesting, um, to, to read Greek and Hebrew and all those things, when I was too old to be in college again. But it just felt like the Lord's path. If I hadn't come here, I'd never written an opera about Martin Luther King Jr. Because I keep saying to people that it's because I found myself in Atlanta that I heard about this man who I'd never heard of before. All these things that the Lord led down the path, and I'm here because I'm excited about how the next steps are going to unveil. But not just for me, for you all also. And every one of us has got your own story about the things that God's been saying to you about how his, his big eternal plan has broken through to you in a dream or a word or a prophetic word or some sense or when you're reading the scripture that there seems to be light from behind you shining on particular things and saying this. Every one of you has that sense, don't you? Every one of you has that sense when you, when you really, really lean into it and you don't try and avoid it like I tried to do for so long. Those things that if you were to look back at your life, because that's what that wretched professor said, to the class, write your obituaries. And if in those obituaries it doesn't say anything about having kids or having families, then don't worry about that. But if it says nothing about being an actor, then get out of the class. Do this at some point. Sit down. Write the end of your life story that someone would say about you, but more importantly that God would say about you that when they look back at your life, you say that this man, this woman, this child did these things, not for him, but for the glory and the good of God, that you somehow were fitting into his purpose, and then live your life according to that, because that's likely to be the race that you're meant to run, and the things that won't matter to you then don't matter now. Yeah? Let's get into this text just quickly. Let me just break it down. Since we, therefore, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, never forget who those people are. Let us, the scripture says, since we, it's talking to us as a, as a we, all of us. It doesn't say since you. We're in, a, we're in an I generation. It's about, I've said this before. It's about we dream, my dream, my this, my that. Forget that. It's about we. It's about our community. Remember this analogy here. 
this man can run because these guys are here shielding him from the wind and these guys are here shielding him from whatever wind the wind tunnel says is, is here and, and in speaking words of encouragement and stepping in and stepping out and someone's designed shoes and someone's riding a bike and someone's giving him fluids and he achieves the most amazing thing because of everyone else. You might be called to be that for someone else. You might be called to run alongside someone for a season. You might be called to run in this as a pacemaker for a season and then jump out and let someone else come and do it and let them take the baton and carry on. You might be the guy in the middle who's meant to achieve this spectacular thing for the kingdom because I think I was thinking, who, who could that guy be? That guy could be the Apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament, but ultimately he didn't do it on his own, did he? He had people around him helping him to do it. Which one of us here is called to kingdom things like Paul was called to? Run that race. Let us. Not individuality. And then the next part says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares. I, I, if I'm going to run a race and you see me, I say I'm going to run a marathon and I pick this thing up and I, I put this on my head here, right? <laughs> And, and, I, and I'm going to run. You're going to say to me, what are you going to say? <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> Why do we do this? This is how we live. We have weight that weighs us down. And we have weight that weighs us down because we don't understand the race. If you know the race you're about to run, then you're clear what to lay off. If I'm, if I'm carrying a chair and my race is to sit on a chair for the rest of my life, then I needed it in my race. But if my race is to run a marathon, then I don't need the chair. So the starting point is discern the race. Discern the race, but lay off weight. What could some weight be? Weight could be people. People you know who bring you down, who hold you down. I spoke to a man the other day. I don't know if he's here today. But he told me that he keeps having a sense of being called to the Lord. But every time he's called to the Lord, the Lord introduces into his life a woman who's ungodly who pulls him away. Yeah, and so when I saw him the other day, and I saw him with, he said, I met this lady, I met this lady. I said, no. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes you've got to be the person who says to another person, no. Get rid of the weight. Weight is not sleeping enough when you've got something to do the first thing the next morning. Weight is not being physically fit for a job that includes physical fitness. All of us should be healthier, eating right. If we eat badly, if we don't have some basic exercise, our lives are harder to live. Derek Prince, a great Bible teacher. How many of you know have heard of Derek Prince? Yeah, he, he, he said that when the Lord called him to teach, the Lord told him very early on, you must be physically fit. And he didn't understand it until he said he'd been preaching all day, all week, and then there was a line, a prayer line of people after he was exhausted. Five hours, he said, he prayed. Somewhere in that, the Lord said, see, the reason you're still standing and you have, you have strength is because you've got just basic physical stamina. But he wasn't trying to be Mr. Universe. Just basics to do what he needed to do. Every weight. And let the Lord just pause for a moment. And just think, what are the weights in your life? What are the weights that hold you back? As you're beginning to think of the race that you sense the Lord's called you to run. But look, it says also, and the sin, which so easily ensnares. And a snare is, as far as I understand, some little loop of cord or, or worse, wire that catches you when you're not expecting it. And so imagine running and suddenly, yeah, you didn't see it, did you? But what's it do? It stops. I can't run my race anymore. I can't run my race because my foot's just been calling this. That's sin, right? Isn't that what sin does? It's to sneak up. The Bible says, 
Watch out because the devil is like a prowling lion roaring, seeking to devour someone. Therefore, be sober and be vigilant. Expect the snare. Look for the snare. Look out for the traps that he tries to trap you with, that the fiery darts that he tries to fire at you to stop you in your race. Be moving on quickly. Run with endurance, it says. Run with endurance. So this isn't a 100-yard sprint or meter sprint. This is the long-distance thing that we have to be long-minded in, in, our, in our orientation and be thinking all the way down the line. This isn't about springing up quickly like the, like the, like the, the, wheat, the, the plants in the parable of the sower that spring up quickly. But it says that when persecution comes because of the word, yeah, they die. This is about perseverance. This is about continuing, to, not just starting, finishing with endurance. And interestingly, Romans 5.3 tells us that ultimately perseverance in comes because we, we, pass, we, we persevere through tribulation. We glory in tribulations. How many of you here glory in tribulations? Exactly. <laughs> but as Christians, it's saying we should. When I ask that question, it should be everybody says, I glory in tribulations. I count it joy when I face trials of many kinds, as James says. Because it says that what do tribulations do? God's got a purpose in it. Because God wants to work perseverance in you. And he wants to, through perseverance, work character. You want to talk about Christian character, if you've never persevered, there is none. Because character is from persevering through tribulation. That's the Christian way. So let that remind you, when you face the uphill struggle, sometimes, oh, hold on a second, my father loves me. You read further in Hebrews 12, it says, no, he loves me, but he chastises those he loves. And if he doesn't love you, he doesn't chastise you. So if you're not chastised by your father, then you're not a son. But if he's chastising you and there are things in your way that are obstacles, then hold on a sec. God wants to work some perseverance in me here. And through this perseverance, he wants to give me character and build character. And through character, he wants to fill me with hope. And having filled me with hope, I'm going to tell Ryan, Ryan, when you're going through something, hang on, brother. Yeah, and Ryan tells and turns someone else. And that's how we live together, isn't it? Next, the race set before us. Run with endurance the race set before us. What is your race? If you know, run it. If you don't know, ask the Lord. What is the race he's called you to run? You to run. Us as a congregation to run together in whichever formation and shape the Lord has called us to be in. For me, that's what executive pastor here has a lot to do is what's the shape that we're meant to be in? How do we orient ourselves? What can you do that we need that we don't know that you can do so there's still a need? And if we can move this person here and this person here and this person is not, not, not exhausted because they're doing the wrong thing and get out of that lane and you need this person alongside them and you need these people alongside them and we need pastoral care people to help these people and we need someone to do this and someone to do that, someone to do that. And as we all come together and we'll look and we'll see, we pray that there's this great testimony that goes out about us, these people that once lived in this part of the world in Grace Marietta in 2019 to do whenever the Lord testifies of us and said they did a great thing long after we're gone, and when it's somebody else's problem to fix the park. <laughs> yeah. Because that's not going to last forever unless we maintain it perfectly. But, but, but things, I don't know how that works, two, three, four hundred years, what will they say of us? May it be that we ran our race. We discerned our race. The scripture says in Romans 12, 2, ultimately it says, don't be conformed to this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If your mind is worldly oriented, if you fill your mind with worldly thinking, discerning the will of the Lord is hard, right? If what I take in, if what I ingest mentally in a sense, if what I, if what I draw into myself is, is worldliness, is worldliness, it's going to tell me that this is the way to do it. It says, no, that's not who we are. It's not who we are. Look at, the, the, look at your input, the things you read, the things you watch, the people you listen to. Too much of the wrong thing, and you will never have a chance of finding out what the will of God is. But look how it says that the promise is there. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. As we associate with one another, as we let the word of the Lord and his truth speak to us, as we encourage one another, as we hear his word, as people prophesy and, and speak, in, speak in words and we see dreams and all those other things, God tells us, this is what I want from you. Run with endurance your race. Looking unto Jesus. It's amazing. We're not, we're not called to run towards this, this laser line on the floor that's telling me the time. We're called to look at Jesus who did what? Everything. Who designed the race? Jesus. Who ran the race before us? Jesus, who is the author of faith, who is the finisher of faith, who runs the race with us, who empowers us, who encourages us, and this is the most exciting one, who stands at the finish line saying, come, run to me. I'm not calling you to run a race you didn't run. I ran a race. You read further in Hebrews, it says that you haven't yet even resisted to the point of shedding blood. Consider him. Consider him who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus' race. He ran his race. Will we run ours? You see, Paul, in the latter part of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8, um, and this is dated as one of Paul's last letters because of this passage says to Timothy at the end of verse 5, fulfill your ministry. He's talking to a young man. He's fulfill your ministry. That's the passing of the baton. He says, I've done my thing. Timothy, now you. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. And I think he has in mind what I've just tried to describe there, which is the finish line not with some Olympic officials, not with gold or silver or bronze medals with a nice ribbon and a ceremony and a national anthem, but better than that. The heavenly national anthem plays. As Christ Jesus himself, Paul says, says those words, will say those words, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. Is that what we want the Lord to say to us? You fought the fight. You finished the race. You kept the faith. And Paul says, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to who else? All who've loved his appearing. Live your life with that day in mind. No other day. 
We will surely face that day when we'll stand before the righteous judge and he's going to say to us something. Let it be that he says, well done. You ran your race. You finished. Not you started and failed. But even in that, there's that scripture that says the righteous one falls. How many times? Seven times, but gets up. If we fall and we get up, it's because of the grace of God saying, now get up. I believe he just gently will stoop and lift us up and, and breathe fresh life and fresh fresh breath into us to keep going. There are many of us here who have fallen in some way, but the Lord has said, get up and keep going. Get up and keep going and finish because I'm the one who designed the race for you to run. I'm the one who gives you every bit of power you need to run this race. And I'm the one who's standing with open arms to welcome you and say, well done, and to put on you whatever this crown of righteousness is, along with all of the rest of our brothers and sisters, while the greatest national anthem plays. The anthem of the heavenly kingdom. And we don't know what it sounds like, but it's better than anything that we've ever heard, isn't it? So my brothers and my sisters, that's what we're called for. That's what we're meant to do. That's what our work is. Discern your race. Remember the cloud of witnesses that surrounds you. Lay off the weight. May God give us insight as to what that is. May God give us insight to lay off the sin that ensnares and to see clearly. I think when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're praying, Lord, make the traps so clear that I don't stand in them. Make them so clear that I can see them, that I'm not caught out, that the devil, the roaring lion, doesn't just sneak up and get me. Yeah, but instead, that, 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 that you through your truth and your light make my life so plain and clear that I... Just, oh, trap there, oh, trap there, and all that sort of thing, and we keep running the race. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? And we give testimony that this was by the glory of God. This wasn't by my strength. How many of us know those days when you just walk and you don't even remember temptation coming anywhere near you? You're like, well, it weren't me, yeah? Because three days ago, I was the guy who was facing everything and likely to fall into it. But God just led me on this path. Pray that for one another. Because you realize that our community is about praying for one another, encouraging one another physically with, with whatever he's given us. This is who we are, Grace Marietta. Is it not? This is who we're called to be in 2019 so that God may have a, give us a good testimony. Run your race with endurance, with your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. Let me close there as we transition to communion. We have and we take communion because Jesus finished his race. He was near the end of his race when he says that this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. And so let's eat and drink, remembering him and looking forward to the day of his second coming when we will eat and drink again with him. The tables are open, two at the front, one there, one there. Sorry, just put my mic back on. I, I, sorry, I forgot to do this early. I wanted to say there might be someone who does not know who we're talking about. I made a terrible assumption at the early service and I'm making it again here. I'm assuming that everyone here knows Jesus. If you do not, pardon, and I are going to stand right there at the back. Lucille, will you join us? 
please. Harding, myself, and Cecile will be there. And if you do not know who I'm speaking about, when I say to you, get your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, if you do not know who this is, but he's been prompting you this morning and speaking to you, then come and speak to us. We'll tell you all about this Lord who loves us, who changed us, by whose grace we live and stand.